Good morning, church. How are we? That's good. Hasn't this morning been an incredible morning so far? If you don't know me, my name is Adam Penman, as Pastor Steve said. Uh, I am the young adult pastor here, and so if you are new and you're a young adult, uh, please come say hello to me. I'd love to meet you uh, and get you connected here at Southport. Um, uh, I do this alongside my lovely wife, Tegan, uh, and she is uh, 30 weeks, 38 weeks pregnant at the moment, uh, so at any moment uh, she could blow, uh, I, think is the, I think that's the medical term that they use. Um, so I could, it could happen while I'm up here, but who knows. Um, and we have our little daughter, Grace, that you would have seen uh, running around. Um, but I have the privilege of opening God's Word with you uh, and uh, sharing on our new trek practice. Um, our last trek practice, actually, for the whole year. How crazy is this? So this is going to take us through uh, for November, December, and into January as well. Um, but uh, here at Southport, we're about following Jesus and transforming lives. And uh, you'll hear that again and again and again. And everything that we do here, it, it goes through that lens. Uh, and one way that we wanted to, to do that uh, is through the transformation trek. The transformation trek is an opportunity for us to learn and to live the ways of Jesus. It's a journey of discipleship. And over this year, we've looked at a number of different practices or disciplines, and here they are on the screen, um, through community and prayer and forgiveness and the work of the Holy Spirit and rest uh, and just a number of these uh, practices. And our hope is to equip you uh, you and I, with some habits that we can both do in our private life and in our public life to grow, impact the world, and become all God has created us to be. But the reality is that uh, these practices deep behind them are, are purely uh, an invitation from Jesus to find our life and rest in Him. And Jesus says this to us in John chapter 15. Let's have a look. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. And he finishes in verse 12, down the end, and he says, My command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. Jesus gives us this beautiful word picture here that he wants us to understand. This picture of the vine and the branches. And, and this is just from our garden uh, as you walked in on the left. And so it's not from a vineyard or anything like that, but bear with me for the illustration. The, the branch that's coming off this vine is at its best. It is at its most healthiest place. And it's there it's going to grow. And it's there it's most ultimately going to bear fruit. Uh, in this case, it's a little flower. Um, but it's there that it is, it is most healthy. And Jesus is using this same word picture for you and I as he talks about our relationship with him. Like a branch is at its most healthiest when it's connected to the vine, you and I are going to be at our best spiritually when we are connected to the source of life, Jesus Christ. 
It's actually when we are connected to Jesus that you and I are going to be most transformed. It's there that we will grow, and it's there that we will bear much fruit. Now that fruit uh, is fruit of the spirits, where we start to embody love, joy, peace, patience. We become more kind. This is not what we do, it's who we become. But also, the fruit is the impact and transformation of the lives of those that come in contact with us. Whether that be instantly, or whether that be over time. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, the reason is, the opposite is also true. The moment that the branch comes off the vine, we'll just pull this off, what happens to it? Yeah, it won't just die in front of my eyes. It won't just suddenly just, you know, fall apart. But over time, it will begin to die. In the same way, when we are disconnected from the source of life, Jesus Christ, you and I will slowly over time spiritually decay, stagnate. And in, as we looked at this thing, we'll begin to lose our joy. We will begin to lose our purpose. We will begin to experience more emptiness inside the more that we are disconnected from Jesus. And so if you hear anything else from me after this, um, let me just, if you don't hear anything else from me after this, <laughs> let me just clarify this. If you're here today and you don't feel connected to Jesus, that is where you need to start. Why? Well, the reality is we're talking about blessing others. And if you're not connected to Jesus, even the idea of blessing others is going to feel burdensome. It's going to feel hard. It's going to feel, what's the point? It's going to feel, I've got nothing to give others, let alone anything to give myself. And so if you're here today and you're feeling disconnected from Jesus, can I encourage you today to pursue Him, to come before Him, to come to the front for prayer? to do business with God. Because what Jesus says is, as we are connected to the vine, the natural overflow of our life and of who we are will be blessing others. It will be to bear fruit. It won't be a religious task to do. It won't be a duty, but it will be a delight and it will be about a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Amen? And I think that is foundational for us as we approach this practice and every other practice in the Transformation Trek is that we want to see you guys living in the life-giving um, life that Jesus provides through His Spirit as we walk alongside life with Him. The life that we saw today in the baptistry, the life that motivates Bobby as she pursues God in her workplace. But let me pray and then uh, we'll jump in. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your grace and your love. And Lord, I just pray over every single person here. Lord, if there is anyone here that is feeling distant from you, disconnected from you, empty, whether they know you or uh, they don't, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just make yourself known to them. That, Lord, that you would draw us closer towards you and that you would breathe life into our soul by your Spirit. And so, Lord, I just come with my simple words this morning, and I ask that they would just give you glory, that they would be an encouragement for us, and that, Lord, through them, that you would change our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
Excellent. So, uh, as we were walking through the book of uh, First Peter, we would have seen this as well, but in the beginning of the early church, uh, as they were walking through what it meant to, to live out their faith, they were under immense amount of persecution, um, of brutality of the Roman Empire. They were surrounded by a, a culture of polytheism with, with the belief of multiple gods. And, and as they're in this environment and in this hostility, uh, they get to work in reflecting Christ and living on mission. And while there were apologists and while there were evangelists, the thing that made the greatest change at that time for the kingdom was the ordinary work and love of believers with beautiful acts of kindness. Of kindness. <laughs> In the brutality of the Roman life, they cared for the poor, they fed the hungry, and their way of life was so powerful, it was bringing people to Jesus. Now, there was an emperor at the time, and here's a picture of him. It's, no, not too detailed, but you get the idea. And his name was Emperor Julian. I like to think of it as like uh, King Julian, like of Madagascar. You know what I mean? That's what comes to my mind. And uh, he uh, feared uh, that these Christians were going to take over the empire because of their raising numbers uh, around him. He referred to Christianity as atheism because they only believed in one God, not many. And he believed Christianity to be a sickness amongst people to be cured. And Julian was so concerned about the people that were coming to Christ, he decided to launch an offense against them by mobilizing officials and pagan priesthood to outlove the Christians. I love that. You know what we're going to do? We're going to outlove the Christians. And so he decreed that a system of food distribution be started and the hostels be built for poor travelers. He writes this Why do we not observe? Um, that, that, in, that it is their kindness to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism or Christianity. I believe that we ought to really and truly to practice every one of these virtues. For it is disgraceful that when the Galileans or the Christians support not only their own poor but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. He goes, those Christians and their love, they're making us look bad. Isn't that amazing? Now, it wasn't surprising Julian's uh, new uh, social program was an absolute disaster. Now, the reality was it wasn't a disaster because he didn't have enough men and women to actually go out and do it. It wasn't a disaster because, uh, he didn't la because he lacked resources. I love this. This is why it was a disaster. The reason they didn't succeed was because Julian, no matter what he did, couldn't motivate uh, pagan priests and Roman officials to care that much for the poor. Isn't that amazing? He couldn't motivate the Romans to care as much as the Christians cared for the poor. You see, as we address this practice, we need to ask, what does the Christian understand or possess that creates such love for others? What did they get in the early church and what do we get today that truly motivates and, uh, and that we possess to actually love others? What is it about um, uh, Sarah Page who tonight is going uh, to shave all her hair off? She's raised, it's $1,800 a woman to, f f uh, to, to free them from the sex trade. 
1800 She's raised enough money for three of them. And to do that, she's put her hair on the line. In a world of beauty and where appearance is everything, what is it that motivates her to do such a selfless act? What is it that uh, sees our, our outward-facing ministries here at church, our mooring, our university ministry, all the things that we've been celebrate, celebrating the last couple of weeks, what is it that causes that? That causes Bobby to go into the school, to devote her life to young people. I love, I love what um, uh, Bobby just shared, actually, when she said, it's the story of God's love in my life and my, my desire for others to know that also. It's the story of God's love in my life and my desire to know, for others to know that also. See, what did the, both the early church and us, what, what is it that we understand? Well, really simply, we understand that we are blessed. The Bible tells us that blessing is God's favor and extending of His grace. The Apostle Paul puts it really beautifully like this. Sorry if I'm sniffing, I'm doing my best. He says this, Ephesians 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who's that? You and I, in Christ, that is actually through what Jesus has done and who He is, that we have received these blessings, with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Isn't that powerful? Do you know what I love about that verse is that you and I, we don't give from a place of lack. You and I don't bless from a place of lack. You and I give from a place of abundance. And there's so many different blessings in this passage, and I encourage you to have a look when you can. But here's, I've pulled out seven because seven's a whole number. It's Jesus' number. It says that we have been chosen, that we have been adopted, that we have been redeemed, that we have been forgiven, that He has revealed His will to us, that we've been marked with the Holy Spirit and been given the Holy Spirit. And he's given us the church. And while I'm not going to go through all of these, let me just highlight a few of those things that really motivates our love. He has both chosen you and he has adopted you. In this season of life, how that resonates with me is um, just seeing uh, my wife at at this time. Um, 38 weeks pregnant, there is a boy or a girl in that womb. We we aren't sure, uh, we haven't checked, and so that will be a big surprise. But the reality is that from the moment that we, we knew that that child was there, it had our heart. It had my heart. There was nothing that that baby could do there's nothing that it, it, there's no way that it could succeed. There's no KPI for it to meet. There was no good deed that it had to do. There was nothing it could do to disqualify it from my love. It just inherits my love the moment it is there. Whatever life that that baby chooses to live, my heart and my love is theirs. And me, them being my son and my daughter means that all that I am, all that I have is theirs. And this is the beautiful love that Jesus has for you and I, that you are His beloved, that He loves you deeply, that in His eyes you have infinite value. I wonder if you believe that this morning, that there is no KPI you have to meet. There is no uh, deed that you have to achieve. There is no wrong too far gone that His love is, is disqualified towards you. 
He sees you and because of we're in Christ, He forgives you and He loves you. And so what that means is it doesn't matter what people say or don't say about us for us to receive our acceptance, for us to receive our identity. It's found in Christ and it's found in His love. And the deeper we understand that, the deeper that will go into our soul and will motivate us and drive us through this life. What follows through that is the fact that because of that, we are redeemed, that we are solely, we are forgiven by Christ, and that He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has sealed your eternity. Both your relationship with Him now and in the future is sealed by the Holy Spirit. That there is His promise and guarantee on your life. You, no one will snatch you out of His hands. He's got you. And He gives you God to gu- He gives you the Holy Spirit to guide you and comfort you and, and, and to give you peace. Now I know a lot of this is like, how do we know this? But do we forget it? Because these are the beautiful blessings that we have in Jesus. And I love this last one, and I just added it in, but it says it here. When he's talking about this, he's talking to the church. That the greatest blessing we have is one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a blessing. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. You're a blessing. We have a body of, of, of people, a family that we can turn up every week to and journey with throughout the week that loves us that's there to support us, to challenge us, that wants the best for us. Do we do this perfectly? No, we're broken. But that's a part of it. I was uh, talking to a senior pastor this week in another state, and as we, uh, he was sharing to me about his life. And as he shared to me about his life, he shared the deep heartache and pain that he had walked through. Young family. And as I heard the pain that he had walked through, I began to cry. I actually can't uh, even imagine or comprehend the idea of not having uh, my wife, Tegan, and having children. And so as I heard that, I just, he's a senior pastor, and I hear this, and I, he goes, and, and then, you know, I, I, a couple of weeks later, eight weeks later, uh, I step back in the church, and I continue to lead. And I was just like, I was like in disbelief. I was like to him, why, how did you go back to church and continue to pastor and continue to lead. How did you do that? And this, this line that he said just stood out to me. It was so powerful. He said, the more of Jesus I need to experience is found together in community. The more of Jesus I need to experience is found in God's people. Church, we are blessed. And not just with spiritual blessings, but all of life. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We are blessed. As Jesus is sending his disciples out on this missionary journey in Matthew chapter 10, he says this beautiful line, and the verse will be on the screen. But he says to them, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. Or another way to say it, in the ESV it says, you have received without paying, so give without paying. You see, the point is that we are blessed to be a blessing. 
And in this case, the disciples were uh, given Jesus permission and power, but it was entrusted to them to pass on into the hands of another. And we see this again and again and again. And I love the practical nature of this point. Jesus is with the, these same disciples and he's, he, they're teaching and it comes towards the end of the day and uh, all, this crowd is hungry. And the disciples say, yes, send them away to go get food. And then Jesus says, you feed them. And here's what it says here. And we're going to pick up from verse 13. He replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. He had said, uh, he, but he said this to his disciples. Have them sit down in groups at about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up the 12 uh, baskets of broken pieces that were left over. There was a need that the people had, a need too great for them to provide. Only God could provide. And Jesus provides the miracle, but the delivery system was the disciples. Have a look at that. It says, Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. The blessing that we have must go through our hands and into the hands of another. The blessings that we have must go through our hands and into the hands of the other. You see, the only thing bottlenecking that, uh, that, that beautiful story is the response of the disciples. It wouldn't because it be because there wasn't enough. It wouldn't be because God didn't come through. It would only be because the disciples didn't pass it on. The blessing of God must go through our hands to the hands of another. Freely we have received, church. Freely we need to give. What is that? It means that as we've been forgiven, we forgive others. As we've been loved, we love others. As we've been served, we serve others. As we've been comforted, we comfort others. As we have heard the gospel from someone, we tell the gospel to others. Who knows you're only a Christian because someone actually had the guts to come and tell you about Jesus. What does it look like for us to pass that on? As God was present with us, we are called to be present with others. Let me ask you this question this morning. How often, friends, do we hoard or hold the blessings of God in our life? How often do we hoard or hold the blessings of God in our life? Our finances, forgiveness, time, words of life, patience, our presence, you see, there's a number of reasons that you and I could probably legitimately say, hey, this is why I didn't do it. We could say things, hey, I don't, I don't know if they're always legitimate, but I don't have time, I'm too busy, I don't have enough money, they don't deserve it. The reality is if anyone has to earn our blessing, it's not a blessing. It's actually probably more like a wage. The blessing of God must go through our hands into the hands of another. And I love at the end of this passage, it says, they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and they were satisfied. Now, this is a, 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 a satisfaction in their belly. But let me imagine for a second. Imagine if you and I did not withhold blessings from people in our neighborhoods. What would it look like for you and I not to withhold blessings from our neighbors, from those in our street, 
from those in our workplace, from those that we meet at the service station or for those that we meet at the shopping center, from one another. What would that do to our world? Imagine not just the satisfaction in their, in their bellies, but the satisfaction in their soul as they encounter the love of God. Amen? Amen. Awesome. So it's the, it's the transformation trek. So what does it look like for us to practically do this? To, that, that we are blessed to be a blessing. How do, we, how do we go about that? In your practice guides, if you've all got one, you open that up and there is a beautiful, uh, there is a, like a, uh, an acronym um, for Mike Frost called BELLS. Which just sort of makes us feel like Christmas is coming, doesn't it? It's pretty close. Um, and the real premise of the book is that um, while we are not all evangelists, we are all called to evangelize with our lives. And this not just being, uh, you know, the words just come out of our mouth, which is equally important, but the very lives that we live. And that by the way that you and I live, lives that surprise the world, that we will be a signpost to provoking people to ask questions about who God is. And he gives us these, uh, these postures and practices. And I want to encourage you, if you can, read this book. Super easy, super quick. Probably t- you probably take an hour, um, but really practical and helpful. That we are to bless others, eat with others. Um, that the listening and the listening to the Holy Spirit and learning Jesus' way of life, that actually to navigate our way through who should we bless and where we should go, that we should be hearing uh, the promptings of the Holy Spirit and we should be uh, guided by God's Word. And lastly, that we should be sent into the world, that this actually means that we, you and I, we are missionaries. We are God's plan to bless this world, to see this world reconciled. But just for time's sake, let me just land on these two. Blessing others and eat with others. Blessing others. Um, Blessing others. I think one of the most powerful gifts that we can do is, one, actually do this. So not walk out of this room today and go, that was a good good message, Adam. Um, And then just continue on with our lives. But to actually put this into place. But I think the greatest blessing that we can offer is actually in, in this current world and the distracted nature of where we live is actually being present with people, giving people our attention. In, uh, and, and you'll see that photo. Isn't that amazing? We've got all these people that, that they're gazing towards this, uh, I don't know what it was, you, probably, you, might, you may be able to tell me, but this concert or this thing, and I just love this, this lady here. She just gets it. Phone away, full attention. You see, being present says... I am here, but more than that, it says, I am here for you. In 2000, before the digital resolution, we had an attention span of 12 seconds. That's pretty scary, isn't it? 12 seconds. So we didn't have a lot of wiggle room. But since then, it's dropped to eight seconds. I know. And guess what a goldfish is? Nine. So we have our attention spans now worse than a goldfish. But being present is saying, I am here, but more than that, I'm here for you. And as we go into this holiday season, this is what we remember with the birth of Christ. Let's have a look. It says this in Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Matthew 28, before he leaves, he says, I'm with you always 
to the very end of the age. I think we see this most beautifully displayed in the life of Jesus and the way that he walked with people. One thing I notice about the life of Jesus is as he's on his way somewhere, as he's he's doing his uh, ministry journey, all throughout that time, there are all these little interruptions of people that come across his path. And you can probably all think of one or or two, or I, I encourage you to have a look at the gospel in that. But as I, as I watch Jesus' life and I see that, um, I, I'm encouraged to do the same. And what I like to call these is our holy interruptions. That as we are going about our day, something comes into our life in which God wants us to be present in for Him to do something powerful in and through us. And the other day I was going, it was, the, it was the start of the day, in the morning, I was getting changed um, and, and I'm, I'm flying out the door to get to work and uh, as I'm getting to my car, I see this man and he is uh, uh, going through my recycling bin. And, uh, and I was like, oh, that's different. And, uh, and so uh, I, I had to really go. I was in a rush, but I was like, okay, I'll go over. And I went over there and his sort of head was in and so I was still like, trying to tap him and say hello. And, and uh, I said, hey, and, and in, that, in that time, we, we, we stopped and we began to have a really, really amazing conversation. And all throughout that time, I was like, I really got to go. But I really felt like God said, this is a holy interruption. And as, we, as I stood there, I began to hear his story and hear about his life and hear about his kids, hear about actually his faith. And, and it was there I was able to uh, uh, talk to him about Christ and the message of Jesus and then ongoing from that, I was able to then invite him uh, to the light party. I don't know if he came, but um, it was this beautiful opportunity that God wanted to use in, in me, an ordinary thing, but something I had to be present and aware of. I wonder if you are present right now. I wonder if you people are your priority. Secondly, we are to eat. This is a really good practice. We all love eating, right? Eating's the best. And it's Christmas time, prawn, steak, roast, all the good stuff. Now everyone's mouth watering. Um, But we are called, uh, Mike Frost calls it, to be blessing others through a meal. When we read through the gospel, Jesus of Luke, Jesus is either coming from a meal, he is either at a meal, or he's either going to a meal. The table was a very powerful place for Jesus. And the frequency in which he went and the company that he kept meant that people called him a glutton and a drunk. It says that Jesus came eating and drinking. You see, Jesus was doing much more than just sharing a meal with people. When the Pharisees saw this, they were disgusted and they didn't understand because of the nature of what the table meant, the intimacy of it, the deep uh, uh, meaning of friendship that was around sitting down and having a meal with someone, it was almost as if Jesus was conducting and, and committing himself to a life of sin just by spending time with the people that they would say, sinners. But here's the reality of it. To share, Jesus was sharing a meal with people that he wasn't going to see in the synagogue. Jesus was sharing a meal with people that weren't necessarily going to walk into the church. But Jesus was seeing the table as not an ordinary place, but a place for him to do something powerful. Let's just have a look at this quote. I think it's on that slide. 
It says this by Simon Carey. The table is a very ordinary place, a place so routine and everyday that it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry. At the base, hospitality is creating a place for God's Spirit to move. Whatever it looks like, your own table is a sacred place. Did I butcher that? looks like I butchered that. Whatever, whatever it looks like, your own table is a sacred place. Let me ask you this. I wonder how you use the table. Whether that be the table in your home, maybe it's just stack full of books and, and everything else, and it's now resulted in sitting on the couch to eat dinner and, and watching TV. And how, how easy is that to happen? Everyone's like, yes, have you been to my house? Um, but the table is a very sacred place, whether that be uh, in our homes, whether that be at a shopping center, whether that be at the coffee shop, on the deck. God wants to use that ordinary uh, environment to do something extraordinary in someone's life. For us to stop, for us to put down our phone, for us to make them the center of our attention, and for us to share life together. Amen? I wonder how you're using the table. So church, we are blessed to be a blessing. I wonder what it's going to look like for you these next couple of months to live this out and practice this. But if I can come back to where I was at the beginning... It starts with this. It starts with being connected to the source of life, Jesus Christ. Don't go hustling and hurrying and going, I've got another thing to do. Don't make blessing others be a thing I've got to do to get right with God. But let it be the overflow of being connected to the source of life, Jesus, and the Spirit of God stirring inside of you that begins to compel you to love others and love God. Amen? So I'm just going to invite the band up, and then I want to pray for us, and we'll finish off our service. Lord Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace, and uh, I thank you, God, that you have just blessed us uh, uh, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. That, Lord, you have graced us with everything that we need to be your people on this earth. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that we would just start at the beginning, which is finding our sense of life in you. Allowing you to be the one that restores us. Allowing you to be the one that carries us, that motivates us. That helps us to bless others even when it's hard. And may God, as we rest and abide in you, may we, God, be a blessing to the world. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would just help us with this this month. May we hear story after story of people's lives being transformed as we just do ordinary acts of kindness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.